We're in Matthew 10 today. We're going to start to take some probably bigger strides through the book of Matthew. And so today we're actually going to be covering the whole chapter of Matthew chapter 10. I want to read it, and I think I've got enough time here to do so. I was going to play it by ear and just see how long we had, but we have time. So I'm going to read Matthew 10, verses 1 through 42 from the ESV. Before I do that, if I could just have your attention again up here for a moment. I want to, um, I want to get a picture into your mind. As I was reading and as I was studying this, um, I had some things come to mind. And so I want to just invite you for a moment, if you will, into a little bit of a, of a creative picture painting. I want you to picture yourself in the 13th century, somewhere if you, if you can picture yourself there, um, into northern Europe, and it's green outside, it's probably cool, um, it's cool enough for you to be wearing a kilt, okay, so it's not too hot, but it's not too cold, some of you are shaking your head no, just, just go with me here. There's a few thousand who have gathered with the battle cry of freedom, freedom from the tyrannical rule of the present age. Thousands have come, they've come to the call. And they've gathered and they're standing shoulder to shoulder, about to be released into battle. And as you stand shoulder to shoulder, shoulder with those fellow response individuals, I won't just say men, men and women will say today, there's a cry from the one who leads this campaign for liberation. None of you standing shoulder to shoulder are of any real status, not of any particular means, but you were called. And you came, and you have been equipped. When lo and behold, who do you see riding from the flanks, along the backside, on his horse, but this guy, Mel Gibson. War paint, face painted, ready for battle. The picture we often read in Matthew is probably something more like this. But as I was reading this portion of the text, to be honest with you, I saw it more something like this. And I wanted to, I know it's a little bit silly, but I wanted to bring this to you guys today because I want to read Matthew 10 with this kind of picture in mind. And I will, <laughs> with a little Scottish broke. No, I want to read Matthew 10 with this in mind because when we read it this way, I think it brings a different emphasis. And again, I'm taking some creative liberty, but I think you guys are okay with it. I'll leave that up just for a moment while we read Matthew chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these first. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them. These are the words of Jesus. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you received without paying, give without pay. 
Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Verse 16, behold, I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit, your Father, speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and child will raise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Verse 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. For what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water 
because he is a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Lord God, we thank you, Father, today as we gather once again. Um, Lord, that as we have endeavored to worship you in truth and in the truthfulness of who you are to us, Lord, that you are faithful to respond to your people, that you desire to speak to us and to commune with us, Lord, and to teach us through your word by your spirit. And so we ask today that as we meditate upon what is true, that our hearts would so come into alignment with your will. And Father, that this community of Christians would be built together, would be strengthened together, would be um, placed upon an even firmer foundation, Lord God, that we would be an effective people, that we would be a boldly gospel-proclaiming people, that we would be a righteous deeds people for the sake of your name, Lord God, and for the glory of our great God and King, that you would be manifest through this community. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as I said, the picture is not the one necessarily that we get often, I don't think. Perhaps you do. It's not one that's come to my mind. Um, but as I thought about it, I was realizing this wasn't a just, uh, hey, come on over here, guys. Let me tell you something. Uh, you know, I'm going to, you know what, you three get together or you four get together, you four to get together, and, and I'm going to send you out. This was a radical commissioning that Jesus did to these men. It was a battle cry. It was a rally cry to battle. Because what we are going to find here is no, no, no longer is it simply just a call to follow the teachings and philosophies and the ideals of one man. It's no longer just that, which the disciples up to this point, really they'd just been following Jesus as he had been performing miraculous signs and wonders, as he had been exhibiting the authority that the Father had given him over all of creation. But they followed his teachings. They were students. They were learners. They were disciples, which are followers. But it's interesting here, we find now in Matthew the first appearance of the word apostle. And the, and the word apostle really just means one who is sent. And so there's a shift in the role. There's a shift in almost in the identity, if you will, of these men from a follower to one who is being sent. And so now it's a call to take what they've been taught, take what they've observed, take what they've been uh, learned from Jesus himself and to battle and overthrow the opposing one. And as I was thinking about it too, we use this analogy of battle so often because it's appropriate for the Christian life and for the, the community of believers and what we engage in. And it's full of casualties, isn't it? We see casualties within the church. We see casualties outside of the church, within the world. Casualties of battle. Casualties, injuries, constant opposition. But this one that Jesus is calling him into is not a campaign to convince people through eloquent speech, but it was really a crusade to win souls to Christ. And so this is what the disciples are endeavoring or about to step into. <clears throat> I felt this morning that for some today that the Lord wants to awaken you to the battle that he's called you into. Some of you aren't living in that reality that the Christian life is a battle. And some of you, I believe that the Lord wants to encourage you today because you've been engaged in a battle. You're in the, the, the proverbial trenches of sorts 
and you've seen the casualties and you're tired perhaps and you're worn out and you're wondering, when's the Calvary going to come? When are the reinforcements going to come? You know, when am I going to get off of the front line, so to speak? When am I going to get that respite that I so desire and need? And I feel like the Lord just wants to encourage us today and replenish our faith in what he is doing through his church. And he wants to call us to action because he is at work. And we, as the vehicle for the kingdom of God, as the church, the vehicle for the kingdom, are to be engaged. One of the words that was brought this morning in our pre-gathering prayer was just the word engaged. That we are not just to be bystanders, but we're to be participants. And for some, that's probably a frightening thought. The thought of, of this battle. Well, where, where does the rubber really meet the road in this kind of battle analogy? But I believe, again, the Lord wants to just increase our faith in this today. And so to take a big portion of Matthew like this, chapter 10, I want to just break it into three sections and look at a, a few things about each of these. The three sections are this. It can be broken into this. The mission's call, the mission's objective, and the mission's result. What Jesus was calling the disciples to in that moment at the beginning of Matthew chapter 10 was a, was a commission into the mission which he had prepared for them. And so we can break it down and just roughly speaking, these are the three, and I'm sure it can be broken down in other ways, but for the sake of today, this is how we're going to look at it. And I want to say this too as I was thinking about the third, the mission's results. How amazing it is that Jesus spells out for them what will happen. And so for us today as we sit here, let me just remind us again, the results have already been determined for the battle that we're engaged within. And so there's no reason to fear and there's no reason to be anxious because the Lord Jesus Christ has already predetermined what would take place. He's already bound the oppressor. He's limited his ability over the earth. And we know, of course, that when he returns, he's going to come and wipe it out for good. And so what, what, what encouragement we can take as we gird ourselves up for the mission that the Lord has called us into, what an encouragement we have that it's already been determined. Now, every act, every occurrence that we engage within, we don't know what those will be. We might see some come to Christ. We might not. But in terms of the ultimate end, again, of that which the enemy has over this earth, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought about his will and is working about his will. So the call of the mission, the objectives of the mission, and the mission's results. So a, th a few things I just want to point out regarding the first. Paul's words to the Corinthians, when we read Matthew 1 through 4, Paul's words to the Corinthians ring loud that God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, that God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and that his strength is made perfect in weakness. As I said a moment ago, these are 12 men. They have no real means or status. And as we saw when we looked at Matthew, some of them are even the undesirable. They're a bit of the unwanted. And this is a picture, this call is a picture of the diversity and the breadth that's God's kingdom. 
that it's many from different backgrounds, that it's many from different socioeconomic status, that you don't have to have it all together to be an active participant, to be an active warrior in the kingdom and for the kingdom of God. And God doesn't want everyone to look the same. He doesn't want us all to have the same appearance and to be of the same essence, if you will. He's interested in diversity. It's a picture of his grace in the kingdom of God as well, to bring so many people together and to keep and to call and to compel us into his work. What he is about, it's about the hearts of people. It's about the hearts that's been captured by the life-giving freedom of the gospel and compelled into a life proclaiming such a change. You don't have to have it all together in life in order to serve the Lord. In fact, he doesn't want you to have it all together. He wants to show his faithfulness, his goodness, and his power through you in spite of your shortcomings. That's the plan and the will of God. And so that's what we see here as he calls together these men that have been following him, that he's already called into following, but now he's calling them, he's gathering them together shoulder to shoulder, and he's about to send them out into the battlefield. And here we see just this diversity of men and background. Jesus has already qualified you to participate and to engage in the battle that he has. Some of us need to know this today, I think. I think some of us might feel unqualified. Well, gosh, I don't have my Masters of Divinity, you know, my MDiv. I don't have any real fancy seminary teachings. Like, who am I to go out and just to begin to speak and to share what I think is truth? And this is the point here, and we're going to get to this more in just a moment. But the Lord Jesus Christ has given to you the authority. He has put within you by his Spirit the knowledge that is needed, and as we read here in Matthew, as it says that you'll be brought before, you'll be drugged before kings and governors, but don't be anxious of what you are to say because the words will be given to you in that time. Some of us need to be encouraged by this again this morning, that the work that the Lord Jesus has called us to, he's empowered us and he's equipped us to do the work and to complete the work. Do you guys believe this? Even when we don't feel qualified, that's okay because his power is made perfect in our weakness. That is how the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is shown through his church. Secondly, before sending them out, even before he instructed them, it says that he gave them authority. He endowed them with the authority that was needed to accomplish the mission he was sending them into. Can I say this? Those who God calls, God equips. Those who he calls, he equips. Whether you feel like it or not, God has given you what is needed to be engaged in his battle, to be engaged in the work of the kingdom. We saw it a few weeks back in Matthew 8. That authority was Jesus's to give. It was given to him by the Father, and it was his to give, and so give he did. To understand this is absolutely imperative. Otherwise, whose name do we go in? Our own? Or like the sons of Sceva, the Jewish priest, right? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who the heck are you? The evil spirit says to the men. Whose name do we go in? We go in the name of Jesus. 
but not just in the name, but we go in the power of Jesus Christ by the working of his Holy Spirit within each one of us and within his church. Also, when it says that he gave them authority, it was more than just divine power, but it was also strength. It was discernment. It was virtue that he gave to them as well. Not to just go in his name, but to be as those who have gone in his name. Do you hear that? It's not just divine ability in the sense of the, the power and authority, but it was character and virtue that was given to them as well. That's true of us today. The Lord by his spirit has given us the virtue that's necessary to engage in the mission. He's given you the character by the spirit of God as he made you new and regenerated your heart. And that which we lack, scripture can reveal to us and we can be built up within it as well. And then lastly, within this first portion of the call of the mission, we see that the ministry of Jesus goes now from the one to the many, from the one to the 12, and of course, from the 12 to the millions. We're just continuing in the ministry that Jesus began when he came to earth. There was no break in Jesus's intention. In other words, when Jesus died, his ministry didn't end but of course he gave it to men who gave it to men who gave it to men all by the Spirit of God. And that's us again here today. We are part of the many. Again, I'm wanting to build our faith and to stir us both into action and to engagement, but also into great confidence that we don't have to be, again, feeling as though we've got it all together because the Lord wants to equip us as we go and he has given us what is needed to step out into his ministry. So the second part, I just want to look at a couple things in regards to the mission objectives. In verses 5 through 15, it begins by saying that Jesus instructs them in the mission's objectives. The word here for instruction is really interesting. It's got four special uses in the Greek. First, it's the regular word of military command. Second, it's the word used of calling one's friend to one's help. Third, it's the word that's used for a teacher giving rules and instruction and precepts to his student. And lastly, it's the word which is regularly used for an, an imperial command. So it's interesting when, when, again, when we look at verses 5 through 15, when he says to them, here is how you are to go, and I'm not going to read it again, but again, it just says, and he instructs them, and he says, go here, don't go here, don't take this, do this, right? It's the, the objectives of the mission, Here's what you're going to do. It's interesting when we look at this portion of text, we can actually see all four of those here. We see the military general giving commands to his soldiers, go in such a way. We see the friend who has been long hard on this mission already thus far over however much time he has been working as Christ on earth, now calling his friends into the mission as well. We see the teacher, of course, his students, here's how you do it. This is what you do. And, of course, the imperial command is not lost. The, the divine authority, the divine directive, the king telling his servants, here's how you will go. Here is what you ought to do. And the instructions are actually rather simple. He says, 
Don't go to the Jews, or don't go to the, go only to the Jews. Don't go to the Jews. I'm rewriting scripture here from the front. Go to the Jews only, which Paul would say this was the pattern of scripture, that Jesus Christ came first for the Jew and then for the Greek. Take nothing with you and advance the kingdom through the authority that I've given you. Three things, all within those chunk of scripture. Go to the lost house of Israel. In Romans 1, as I said, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. This was God's pattern for salvation. Unfolding first to the Jew and then the rest of the world. Jesus the Messiah is of God's people Israel coming in the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures to save his people from their sins. It had to be Israel first. This was it. And of course we know that the foreshadowing of the gospel to the Gentiles has already been rich in the chapters that we've looked at thus far. And then he says, take nothing with you. And what an interesting, an interesting statement or directive that he gives to them. Take nothing with you. And as I thought about it, what is this a picture of? No copper, no belt, no bag, no sandals. It's twofold. First, that all their worldly items are left behind. When they engaged in the mission, Jesus told them to leave that stuff behind. You're not going to need it. It's not going to be of help to you. Why? Because the second portion of what he's showing us and telling us is that what is needed, he will supply for their mission. Leave behind the earthly things because I'm going to give you what you need. If that is not a clear call to the Christian life, gosh, I don't know what is. God has given us what is needed, you guys. And as we've talked about the last few weeks, leave the other stuff behind. Don't try to bring the old ways of the old system and the old works of the old man into the new ways of the kingdom of God because God has started again and he's made us new. He's regenerated our hearts. That's what God desires, is our hearts brought to him. And he will give us what is needed. So in all of this then, Thus far, we see two things. On the one hand, all of it is a work of God himself, the calling, the equipping, the directing, and the providing for the mission of the Christian life. But secondly, therefore, for the follower, for you and I, the mission is a matter of faith. That day with the disciples when they stood there, that was a matter of faith. Were they going to take the Lord at his word for what he said would be? Or would they try to accomplish the mission out of their own human efforts? Today, church, our mission is a mission of faith. Bottom line. Do we believe what the Lord has said to us? That he will provide, that he will equip, that in the calling he has given us what is needed. Do we believe that in faith? Or is there a part of our own hearts that doesn't yet quite believe? That's not willing to leave this one earthly item behind because you're just not sure. God wants to tell you today. He's called you. He's equipped you. He's given you what is needed. Step out in faith. Test him. Trust him. He will show himself and prove himself to be faithful. So it's a matter of faith. Faith for the calling to continue in the ministry that Jesus began and has now handed off from one to the many, which is us. 
that he's the firstborn of many that are like him, Scripture tells us. Do we have faith to believe that today? Faith for the equipping to believe that we have been given everything that we need pertaining to life and to godliness in Christ Jesus, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Do we believe that today? The Lord wants to increase our faith in his equipping of us for the mission. He wants to increase our faith in the mission's directives that as the psalmist would say in Psalm 33, for the word of the Lord is upright and that all his work is done in faithfulness. Say that with me. All his work is done in faithfulness. Say it again. All his work is done in faithfulness. Preach that to your soul, you guys. All of his work is done in faithfulness. The word of the Lord never fails. It is always true. It is always sure. You can always hang your hat on it at the end of the day because he will accomplish what he has begun. So he wants to increase our faith for the directives. He wants to increase our faith in the provision of that which he's called us to, to believe, as Paul would say to the Philippians, that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to live in that. It takes faith to walk in it, doesn't it? I mean, I, you know this. I stand here before you today and I preach these words to myself. I have to live this way. I have to live with an increased sense of faith in God's provision and for God's calling and for the directives that he's given to me. So I don't stand here before you as one who's figured it out and I know that you know that. But I just say like, it's good to remind ourselves of these things. It's necessary to encourage ourselves in these things and to go to the Lord in the areas where we lack faith. Where do we lack faith? Which of these areas do we lack faith? Because I tell you, where we lack faith, you're being hindered from your effectiveness to participate and to engage in the mission that the Lord's called you to. And that's not to put something on you. It's just to say, I know that you, as do I, want to live a life that's so effective for the sake of the kingdom of God. And as do I, you want to see souls won for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lives brought into the, just the, the benefit and the joy that it is the Christian life. I know you want those things. And so we need to dig deep today, encourage ourselves, and ask the Lord to speak to us and increase our faith. Where do you need to see an increase of faith today? And then we come to the last third or the last portion of Matthew 10, which are the results of the mission. And straight away, what does it say? The title of verses 16 through 20, persecution will come. Persecution will come. Not it might come, it will come. And I, this is something that I ask the Lord and pray for myself just as a leader and as a father and as a husband about on the regular, Lord, am I ready? Am I ready? Do we experience trials? Yeah. We all experience difficulties. I don't think we have even scratched the surface to understand what it is to experience persecution. I think we can probably get glimpses of it when we step back and look at just the global trend and the wave of culture, but to really understand persecution you know, Lord Jesus, I think he'll give us the grace. As we've already said, he'll give us what's needed in the right time. 
But it's just to say, church, be ready. And I think that this is one of the things of this church that we have made it a point to be about as leaders, is to be a, a leadership that prepares the church. And I think we've done that well, of just saying, this is what's being said. This is what's coming. This is what's happening. Gird yourself up. Strengthen yourself up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come around each other. Strengthen one another. We're going to need each other. At the very least, our children are going to need each other. I found this quote. This is uh, the lovely Charles Spurgeon. He says this regarding this portion, persecution. Here you see the sheep sent forth among the wolves as if they were the attacking party and were bent upon putting down their terrible enemies. It's a novel sight such as nature can never show, but grace is full of marvels. What an awesome quote, isn't that? As the attacking party, I send you as sheep amidst the wolves. I'm sending you in as the attacking party. His grace is full of marvels, Spurgeon says. And I think when we read these words of Jesus and we start to look at verses 16 through 25 and all of the things that Jesus starts to list that's going to happen to them, not that might, that will happen to the disciples as they go. I think we read this and we kind of look upon it with a little bit of gratitude at times. Oh man, I am so glad that wasn't me in that moment. But can I just say to you guys, it is. It is. We might not experience it the same way, although I hope, as did Paul, Boy, the opportunity to stand before someone of power and authority to preach the gospel. What a, a miraculous and awesome opportunity that would be. So he says, he lists off these things. They're really encouraging statements. Sheep amongst the wolves in 16. You're going to be flogged in synagogues and drugged before governors. Verse 17, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake in verse 22. You're going to be persecuted in the towns in verse 23. You're going to be treated no better than Jesus was in verse 25. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household, verse 36. And we say, thank God that's not me. But what is Jesus? See, Jesus has already prepared them and those who were listening to him back in Matthew 5. When in his Sermon on the Mount, when he says to them, blessed are those who are, what? For his righteous sake. Persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all sorts of evil kinds against you that are false on my account, he says. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the pattern of the mission. That we are sent and that persecution comes. See, on the one hand, I think we're compelled to speak the truth of the gospel in hopes of seeing peace established. I think we do that. We don't preach the gospel often, I don't think, in thinking about what persecution is going to come. I think we do it because we want to see peace advanced and established in people's hearts. But I was thinking about this. Peace doesn't come to culture. Peace through the gospel comes to hearts of men and women. And hearts of men and women change culture. And I was thinking about this. It's actually the opposite. 
When the gospel is preached, the gospel is the great cultural agitator. Unrest happens when the gospel is preached, right? Disturbance in the force happens when the gospel is preached. Peace comes to the hearts of men and women. It doesn't come to culture. It's changed by those people. It confronts, it unearths, it disestablishes, the gospel does, and it overcomes the powers of the present age. If that isn't a disruption, I don't know what is. It's unearthing, it's showing for what it truly is. It's triumphing over the powers of the present evil age. That's what the gospel does when it's proclaimed. The natural result of that is for people to get drugged before kings, to be beaten, flogged, reviled, ran out of town. What more could we actually possibly expect? However, 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 take heart because he is greater in us than he is in the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is greater. As I said, we anchor our faith to the results of the kingdom, to the results of the plan of God, to that which we know God is working towards. That's where we anchor our faith. When we sing the words, no other love, no other hope that I've ever found, but found in you, God. That's what we're saying. That's in spite of all the things that happen around us. We anchor ourselves to the sure one. We anchor ourselves to our blessed assurance as we sang this morning. That's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And I want to take just a moment and I want to circle here for a few minutes and then we'll land because I want to do so in a place of faith again and hope. Yes, persecution's coming. Yes, we will experience it when the gospel is preached. Yes, but as we read through Matthew 10, all of these warnings, all of the obstacles, all the trials that are listed here in Matthew 10, let me say this, they are all met with a promise by Jesus. They're all met for a promised resultant provision by Jesus Christ. He says, this will happen, but take heart, this will be. Yes, this will happen, but I will do this. Yes, this will happen, but that's where we place our faith. In the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. To sustain, to protect, to guard, to keep, to maintain us. In Verses 17 through 19, he says, you will be delivered over to courts and synagogues, but don't be anxious on how you are to speak, for what you will need to say will be given to you. He says, you'll be hated for my name's sake, but those who endure will be saved. You will be hated, but you will be saved. Have no fear of those who kill the body, because even the hairs on your head are numbered, you are more value than they are. Acknowledge me, he says, and I will acknowledge you. There's his promise. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, God provides a way in each one of these things. Let him build your faith today for what he's called you to. Yes, this will happen, but the Lord is faithful. Yes, you will be reviled, but God will save you in the end. Every obstacle in our mission is met by the divine 
provision of God. It just takes faith on our part to step out and see it. So what does this look like? What are the areas that we're being called to activate our faith in for the mission? And there's nine characteristics. I'm just going to give them to you quickly. And I want, to, I want these to just sink into your heart. You can write them down as faith areas seen here through Matthew chapter 10. Hear them today as God's promises for you and towards you right now. The first is faith in God's providence. We see this here in Matthew 10, the providence of God. God has called you to a task and he has given you what you need to accomplish it in those moments. Faith in God's providence. This is a characteristic of the mission of Matthew 10 that the disciples are called into. This is something we need to activate for ourselves. Faith in God's provision, number two. Take nothing with you, he says. Receive no compensation for the work, for you will receive what is needed all along the way. Trust in the one who sends you to make your way. Faith in God's provision. Faith for peace. He says, as you enter the house, greet it and bless it as one which is from the Lord. And if the house is worthy, if it receives the blessing, let your peace come upon it. Faith for peace, that we would be dispensers of peace in a culture of unrest. Number four, faith for endurance. You'll be hated for his name, you guys. You are gonna be hated for his name. But the one who suffers patiently and faithfully will be saved. That's his promise. Let's let him increase our faith. Increase our faith for endurance. Number five, faith for boldness. Don't be anxious, church, in what you're to say. Don't be, don't be anxious in those moments for how you are to speak, for what will be needed in that moment will be given to you. Let's believe in the Lord for that. How often do you feel ill-equipped in that area? Like, ah, oh, I just, ah, I'm not going to say anything. I just don't have anything to say. After all, who am I? Baloney. You are the Lord's vessel. You are the Lord's chosen one. In that moment, to be dispensers of righteousness, to be dispensers of peace, to be dispensers of hope. Let's trust the Lord for an increase of faith for boldness. Can you with me? Can we agree on that? Number six, faith for wisdom. Why oh, we need this. We need this. I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We need faith for wisdom, church. To discern rightly circumstances, movements within culture, moments with neighbors, opportunities with children, family members. It takes wisdom. How to present the gospel in a way that meets the need of the individual or the circumstance. Number seven, faith for steadfastness. And I believe that this is a church that's steadfast, but we can even increase in this. If they've maligned the master of the house, Jesus, how much more will they malign those of his household? That's what Jesus is saying in verses 24 through 25. They called me basically Beelzebub. That's what he's saying. So don't expect it any better than me, guys. If that's what I got, I hate to see what's coming your way. 
Faith for steadfastness. To continue in the face of adversity. To remain firm. To not waver, to not take step backwards, but to remain. Number eight, faith for confidence. To remember that we are more valued to the Lord than all of his other creation. That as humans created in his image, that he loves and values us greater than anything else. To have confidence in all the other things of his provision and his providence, of his promises, of the results. To allow our faith to increase in the confidence in Jesus Christ. It's necessary, church, for the mission of God. And lastly, faith for the cost. He says, take up your cross. It's going to cost us, you guys. And most of us here, I'm sure, have paid that price in one form or another. Whether it's the division that comes between your family, because now you are a professing follower of Jesus Christ, and how foolish that is, how stupid you must look for believing in something that you can't see. Or if it's fill in the blank. You chose to forego whatever future plans you had because you felt like the Lord was calling you to this thing now or to be here at this time or to give yourself to this faith community or fill in the blank. It's the cost, but it requires faith. It requires faith because when these things are activated, when we have faith in these areas of our life, you guys, what an amazing testimony to the grace of God on the life of a believer. When they see us continuing, believing, hoping in, speaking boldly, professing loudly and clearly the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a testimony of the greatness of God. When our hope and our family is anchored in something that's bigger than circumstance, that goes beyond you know, these things, ups and downs of culture, what a testimony. When we teach our children and we train them in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ and we tell them to stop biting their nails because it's dirty under their fingernails. And we love our spouses. All of this, you guys know, what a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it requires faith. So I pray that today that the Lord Jesus would increase our faith. Lord, I ask even now that as we stand here and sit here, Lord, that these words that I have said, that you would take them by your spirit and massage them into us, Lord God. We ask, Father, that this would be for your sake, that you would do these things in us, not so that we would somehow feel like we've attained anything, but Lord Jesus, that we would see the race that is set before us, that we would be as, as those, Father, who are engaged participants in the race and in the battle. Father God, we ask that through this church in your name that you would bring souls to yourself through the words that we speak and the lives that we live. Lord, that we would be great dispensers of the grace of God in all of the wonder and the excellencies that you are, Lord Jesus. That we would be glimpses of that for our communities and neighborhoods, Lord, our schools and our places of work. Father, that we would be cultural agitators by your gospel, that the boldness of Jesus Christ would just be 
exuded through our every action and word, Lord God. And Father, I pray that above all, that you would increase our faith expectancy of what you will do. Lord, that as we take these steps, I pray today, Lord God, that you would activate faith even now as we sit here. And Lord, that as we've said, you know what, this is an area that I need to increase in faith in. I'm gonna believe in God. I'm gonna begin to step out in God in this area, Lord. I pray that you would show yourself to us quickly and faithfully in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Use us, Lord, mightily for your kingdom. Amen.